Hello, hello, hello everyone, welcome back to the main show itself, it's a wonderful podcast, today it's episode 130 of the main show, Nolan's back, hello Nolan, are we excited because I don't know whether I'm excited or kind of terrified. I'm excited because I have two weeks off and this, uh, don't know about you but that's pretty good for me. But do you have two weeks off for nice reasons or for unpleasant reasons? Um, way I see it, I have two weeks off regardless, and that's always a nice thing. I can fucking write that script I've been wanting to do. Fair enough. It's very true. It's very true. Today, of course, we are keeping it spooky. It is spooky season on It's a Wonderful Podcast. It's more than spooky enough on Morgan Hasn't Seen with all the witches. And it is, of course, more than spooky enough on the main show as well. Because, Nolan, we opened spooky season um, on the show with uh, with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, and I'm still recovering from it. Well, I don't know if this, mo- <laughs> if this movie will be a good recovery from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. In my, in my eyes, it's equally as twisted... In a much different way, but we'll certainly get into it. Last week, me and Janine got a little, a little nicer, a little cuter, but still plenty spooky. With I married a witch, but we're taking it back to uh, quite dark, sinister territory this week uh. with Michael Michael Powell's Peeping Tom from nineteen sixty. I married a witch too, and it was magic at first sight, man. Turns out, <laughs> a whole different reason. That's Scotland for you. Scotland. Scottish witches are good, though, aren't they? Scottish witches are what made Macbeth happen. Indeed. But uh, I've been wanting to do Peeping Tom for a long while now. Infamously, I first heard of this movie when Ghostface referred to it as the first ever slasher in Scream 4. Mm. And I've been wanting to it's watch it ever since. I mean, you know, it it does uh, it does hold that distinction for me, really. People up, people people say, well, Psycho, but really, it's Peeping Tom. I mean, they are the same year. Granted, I don't know what months, but are they I'll the same Peeping year? Tom, nine, both nine sixty. I thought Peeping Tom came out in fifty eight. No, as far as I know, it came out in 1960. I mean, it's a British movie. Um, Let's have a look, though. Let's have a look. Pretty sure, um, if I can have a look. No, we've got 1960 across the board here. Um, Well, math has never been my strong suit. Well, we know that. Yes. We know that. I don't think this movie should actually be called Peeping Tom, either. Um, even though, obviously, the phrase Peeping Tom is all very voyeuristic and getting, you know, sadistic kind of pleasure out of looking at uh, things one shouldn't be looking at, which kind of is exactly what Mark is doing in this movie. But also, I think it should be called Stabby Tom. Yeah, because this really... isn't Peeping Tom in the way people are going to expect it, is it? 
No, it's it's Stabby Tom. It's it's Tom. He's not even called Tom. For one, he's not even called Tom. Really, it should be called Stabby Mark. Not Peeping Tom. It should be called Stabby Mark because Mark goes around stabbing people and filming it. Yes, and I should start with saying this movie was a major influence for our script Skeletons in the Closet, which me, Gwen, and Yvonne are writing right now. And it deals with filmmaking in a very similar way in which we're going to tackle in that story. Mostly with how the art side of it can consume you. Yeah. And the way that like some pers- one person's art could be another person's terror and that kind of thing. It's very much about that. I mean, it's a, a really deep kind of psychoanalysis of a movie, almost. And what I found out, actually, from watching from watching it this time is that it's actually one of Martin Scorsese's favourite movies. You have the thing where he has an intro on it, don't you? That's on my Blu-ray. I do. I own I own the movie with a, a, a Martin Scorsese introduction, which was nice. Which was nice. I don't think I've seen the introduction before. I don't know where... don't know if... Well, I don't know where, where I was the last time I watched Peeping Tom. I mustn't have played it with the introduction. I don't know why. Um, but I like that. I liked this little introduction from Martin Scorsese. Uh, I like... In a weird way, I like that this movie killed Michael Powell's career in Britain because it was just too daring and bold. I always love stories like that, even though they're kind of horrible because you don't want filmmakers' careers to be killed by making bold choices. We've come a long way in how graphic horror can get and how disturbing horror can get since the 60s, but back then I can imagine the film execs being like, this... We cannot show this in our theatres. <laughs> like yeah. that kind of fucking... I, I can imagine the exact kind of reaction Michael Powell would have got, and I suspect if we get to make Skeletons of the Closet, we might get a similar reaction. Look. Nowadays. Well, I'd hope so. I'd hope so, because that would be... That would be successful, as far as I'm... As far as I would consider that, I would consider that successful if you get strong... Uh, reactions of oh that was bold i always like that i always like that you're not going to be bold uh, when you're filmmaking i mean what's the point really it's a good point it's a very good point i like michael powell as a director anyway because he's very very into psychology and what weirdly lies at the back of people's heads in the subconscious and how do we convey that in in our movies you know um he did the the red shoes and black narcissus which are female-led movies so it's a little bit different in that way um but they're very you know much about kind of something comes out in oneself that's kind of lurking at the back um that's the case in in Peeping Tom as well. It's just obviously from a, a masculine point of view, so it's all very, I want power, I want stabby stabby, let me look at you and film you, me killing you, because that's what men do, power, power, power. It's interesting to me that technically the protagonist of this movie is the villain. 
I don't think I've ever seen Definitely. that before in a horror film. Like it's always been final girl, final guy. I don't think I've ever seen a horror movie to the level of this where the killer is the protagonist. And you you probably have. Besides like maybe mm. the monster movies of the universals and all that. But well, I think I think they come they come in their own I've never seen a slasher league. with the killer as the protagonist. I mean, that's a good point. That's a good point. And it's even more interesting in that way, being that it's obviously the first, or, you know, we can fight all day about Peeping Tom or Psycho, the first slasher. Um, Psycho's obviously the nice, Hollywood, glossy, successful version, box office-wise. Peeping Tom's the one that people only find out about slightly later on, realise, actually, Loki might be a little bit better, and um, or at least bolder. I mean, they've both um, got great villains, they're both shot really well, they're both written really well, they both have really standout scenes, the shower scene in Psycho, and a certain scene in here, I'm just going to call it the stage scene. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're very similar in that way, and... I think I'd have to take quite a few watches because Psycho has been quite ingrained in my mind for a few years. That was like one of the first classic horrors I ever watched. But I, I think mean, maybe Peeping I'm Tom being a bit too. <laughs> Look, maybe I'm being a bit too extreme because Psycho is obviously a near perfect movie. Um, it's just my way of, you know, how I like to think. If something's popular, I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> Morgan's the least favourite movie of last year Avengers Endgame No it wasn't obviously um, But you know what I mean It's that kind of I, I hold That's that's in my subconscious So let's have Michael Powell travel in time And direct a movie about me How about that one I'm sure it won't be quite as dark As Peeping Tom Man um, lives in a Manchester cave like you know, like hobo, like hobo with a shotgun, but it's just you yeah. there. Yeah, and we get we get deep into what what uh what what I'm thinking in my, in my subconscious. Not that I think it's that sinister, but secretly we all have something sinister lying in our I deep. I would like to see a horror movie that tackles podcasting because it's becoming quite a popular thing now. If you could put a horror twist on podcasting, I think that'd be very fun. Oh, I'm sure you could. And I would have to have a think about it. I mean, they've done it. They've done it with a video calling and that kind of thing, haven't they? Yeah. They've done it with, you know, you've had your social media based horror movies. Granted, you podcasting. Un- Unfriended isn't that good. Searching is the better. I don't know if you can call it a horror, but it's definitely it's scary. A, well, it's certainly a thriller movie. It's a great movie as well, actually. Um. But they've been made, which is, you know, the point. Uh, I think you could. I think you could You could go for a, a podcasting. I mean, w- would it be a podcasting horror movie, though? Or would it, in fact, be a podcasting horror podcast? Who knows? Where it's, it's all quite meta, and the podcast is actually taken over by the story of the terrible things that are happening to these it's basically Blair Witch Project but with podcasts and it's just all in a podcast for any of our listeners who are budding screenwriters go and get that written please 
Have I just actually come up with a good idea, or is that a terrible idea? Hey, Please no, don't no steal idea. my good or terrible idea. No ideas are bad. They're only bad executions. Oh, I like that. Is that one of your own original quotes? That's just something that you... came off the top of my head. I'll try know. and explain that to you in the best way I can. Boy gets bit by a spider and puts on tights and saves New York. On paper, that sounds like a stupid idea. In execution, it's one of the best characters ever written. Well, yes. Fair enough. Okay. Stumped have I been there. Thanks, Nolan. Um, anyway. Peeping Tom. And it's morbidity. And it's kind of f fascinating portrait of I mean it's not it's not portrait of a serial killer is it it's not that movie but it's near enough um it's one of uh, the very 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 early examples of a sympathetic killer in a horror movie um and I mean an outright kind of maniac killer because he isn't all there is poor mark but this doesn't this comes from past trauma and his, his dad who would kind of constantly film him um, in an experimental way and like set lizards on him and terrify him and film him while he was sleeping just to see what light did to the child's sleep patterns and weird things like that his dad was basically it's... Jonathan Crane a little bit <laughs> a little bit yeah but it's had this effect on Mark, where he's now become, number one, obsessed with film, which, you know, is fair enough, many people are, um, but two, also obsessed with filming himself killing women, which isn't good. That's, that's the not good part of it. Um, I happen to think that Carl Bohm is excellent in this movie. At playing very, very creepy and sinister and very, very tragic. And very really every well man as together. well. Yeah. He feels like a guy like you would meet on the street or like works in your local supermarket. It's it's different to like Norman Bates where he's the obvious boy next door. It is a little bit because he is he is very he is very every man. Um you know, other than the fact that he's got an inexplicable German accent, which just I mean, happens to be because Carl Bohm's German. Blonde hair, blue eyes, I mean... He's very he's very stereotypical German, but it doesn't even... If he wasn't even doing thing. this, he'd be a James Bond villain. Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> I he'd like be, that idea. He'd we should be have that had guy that. from Spy Who... The Spy Who Loved Me. You were about to use the Austin Powers title, and I find that hilarious. <laughs> Austin Powers has taken over James Bond. Um, still, 25 years later. Um, anyway, I happen to think he's great. I, I really do, um, performance-wise. But what by far is my most kind of loved aspect of this movie is just how deep it gets into the, like I said, the, the, the psychology of it all and what creates, you know, somebody 
like this? What causes somebody to behave in this way? And how does that person satisfy their desires? Because it's a really unique way of doing that. You've never... Like, how many other movies can you... How many other horror movies can you think of where the killer films their own killings and then watches them back for satisfaction? Scream 4. Scream 4. Okay, Scream 4. Let's let's all lord Scream 4 as a... I mean, it's a good movie. Scream 4. But my point is, there isn't many. Yeah, there's and Scream 4 even makes reference to Peeping Tom, so it's probably... Like homaging it yeah. in a way. And scream homages everything. That's the point of scream. No one. That's the point of scream. Yeah, so it's, uh, what I find interesting with this, especially with this character, is that we only know the trauma side of him. We don't know what he's done, maybe, to try and get it under control. There's no, like, obvious scene where maybe he's with a therapist or something. You get no. the idea that this guy maybe tried therapy and it didn't work for him and he just had to keep escalating ways to cope with this until it just he kind of went off the deep end and it's just the point of no return for him and there's a beautiful shakespearean tragedy element in that there really is it is very it is kind of a very point of no return and it builds up obviously throughout the movie he becomes kind of in in love in a way with a, a a girl that lives underneath him in his kind of building mm-hmm. um which I, I i just love the fact that he no i can't photograph you and like she's asking to be photographed it's like no if i get my camera out then i know what i'm going to do to that person i'm photographing or filming yeah so, so he's I, not I, like I, a complete I, psycho he does have a bit of a conscience no, he's incredibly self-aware of himself he just can't help himself, which is what makes it feel very, very real and just kind of more impressive and more kind of gripping in that way. And the fact that he is so aware of his own insanity, but then goes to that point, obviously, where... He just knows he enjoys it. He knows he shouldn't enjoy it, but he knows he enjoys it. So that's just what he has to do. It's weird. It's weird. But I am such a fan of it. I am such a, such a fan of it. It's also, this movie is just a love letter to movie making in a way, or it's even a cynical portrait of what movie making is like. I mean, the director character in this movie is a complete arsehole oh that's true yes he is so's i mean so's the uh the kind of studio head as well he's not he's not the nicest guy but yeah because they it's i mean a lot of it a lot of the movie is set on a actual film set film studio that's where mark works you know that his love of film makes him he's basically a cinematographer but also takes his little camera out along the streets with him and goes around killing poor women um but that's you know that's where he works he is an unpleasant man that director though 
But he doesn't, you know, I mean, that actor, is, that actress isn't great either. No, but I'll go back to a thing you said where it's all about dark impulses. I think you see that through a lot of other characters in the movie as well. Like, uh, maybe this is why Michael Powell got his career fucked by this movie. Maybe the studio heads weren't so happy with being villainized. Maybe they weren't happy with that, and that's why they're fucked off with him. There's that sweet old man that comes into the shop there to clearly buy pornography. And it's kind of showing that, well, you don't really know people. Like, sweet people on the inside could have these dark impulses. It's all about, like, how they choose to act on them. And you can tell that guy in the shop, he's very discreet about it. He doesn't want anyone to know. He Even at the point he's so focused on it, he forgets his own newspaper. Well, he came in to cover up with that. And then you see that through the... What they Mark Mark is his name, right? Yeah, you see that through Mark as well. Like he's giving into his impulses, and at some point you see his struggle not to when he's like, "I don't want to photograph you." The thing that I love in this movie, and I was kind of hoping that it would be for the whole movie, and I was a bit disappointed when it went away. I wish this whole movie was shot with that little Super Eight frame over the whole thing. The whole thing? I wish that was there the whole time. I mean, it's a, that would have been a, it would have been an experiment. I think in many ways, it, Peeping Tom is quite an experimental film. Anyway, um, that would have certainly taken it to a little bit of a, another level. I think the shots where you know we do see is, and it's a very kind of POV um, shot, especially of the first killing the kind of is it is it pre, i suppose it's pre opening credits um i really love that i mean it's a little bit kind of michael myers halloweenesque mhm so you've 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 kind of you're almost assuming in a way 18 years Mr. later Carpenter's... a young john carpenter would yeah. maybe homage it in a way i have to assume that I have to assume that because it is a, it's a POV first killing, but it's on, but it's on, you know, Mark's little film camera that he is at this point hiding in his coat. I mean, it would be a bit unusual to see somebody carry around something, you know, a, a camera all the time and film seemingly random things. Yeah, I, I, but I don't. You know. say that, and there's people that live stream going for the grocery store. I mean, that's true. That we we there is vloggers, vloggers basically. Mark's just a vlogger. He's just a very, he's just a very uh, twisted and maniacal vlogger. Honestly, I give it only a matter of a few years before we see a news report that says TikTok star revealed to be serial killer. You you uh. We spoke about before, Nolan, about a podcasting horror movie. What about a vlogging horror movie? I mean, most vlogs' is... production quality is horrific enough. Oh, so oh the oh the jokes, ah. <laughs> the burns on the vloggers, the poor those poor vloggers, Nolan. I am not a fan of what the major majority of the internet refers to as a vlogger. I think a lot of them are pompous twats, and I would never sit in the same room with them for more than ten seconds. I un- I understand who you're talking about, and I do not disagree. However, 
I know for a fact that some people who make vlog vlogging videos are delightful people. So for every delightful person, you have about ten Logan Pauls and Sam Possibly. Peppers and Casper Lees Possibly. and all these dicks. Possibly. I'm not saying I you hate are I hate how I hate how people like that ruin the <laughs> format for talented people. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. But I still would like to see a vlogging horror movie where the 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 killer vlogs his uh his or her, you know, their There is killers. a thing like that on Shudder right now, which I'm gonna be watching after we're done recording this. Uh this thing called the Cleansing Hour, which is like live streaming an exorcist show, and it's all a hoax and shit, but then during one of the recordings, an actual demon takes possession of one of the actors. Is it a short movie? It was a short in 2016, and now it's become a whole film. It's on Shutter have. Oh, I have seen the short. I have seen the short at the, at the, the Grimfest Horror Festival. Mm-hmm. I remember that the, the the fake exorcism that turns into a real exorcism. I remember that. I remember that. It was very good. Yes. Okay. It's a full movie. I like that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Same director too. I'm gonna watch it tonight. Okay. Okay. Lovely. I like but that. You could do so many. Peeping Tom. Honestly, I feel could in, has more had more influence on slashers than like most horror directors dare to mention. Like, I don't think I've seen a single. Famous horror director reference Peeping Tom as an influence. They always go back to Psycho or the Universal because Monsters. It's the pop, because or it's Halloween. the glossy popcorn version. Psycho is the glossy popcorn version of Peeping Tom. Yes. It is. It's the more kind of palatable version of Peeping Tom, and it's the in a in in a, in quite a lot of the ways less dark version of Peeping Tom. I feel like you could get away with watching Psycho at an earlier age than you could get away with watching Peeping Tom. I think if you watch Peeping Tom as like a 11, 12 year old, you will be messed up. But I think you could get away with watching Psycho. I know kids who watch like Hostel and Saw and everything at I 10, understand 11 years that. old. I understand that, but where is things like Hostel are a certain type of horror movie that is perfectly a legitimate genre of horror and sometimes we actually enjoy watching that type of genre but there is not it's the intelligence with peeping tom that if you understand what it's trying to say but are almost too whether whether it's too young or kind of too if you understand what it's trying to say, but not able to process it, then I think it can re- it could really, really mess you up um, in a way that I don't think Psycho could, yeah, because I see that. Psycho is kind of very. It, I it's, don't know. It's kind of just, it's a different kind of terror. It's a different kind of terror. It's absolutely a different kind of terror, and it's not as. In debt, it's not as psychoanalytical. It's ob- and it's called psycho, which is a weird thing to say. Um, that it's not as psychoanalytical, but it really, it really isn't. I think if Psycho had followed the book's plot, 
it might be in the same situation as Peeping Tom. Maybe that's a better thing. I mean, Alfred Hitchcock would have been run out of Hollywood. We would have never well, gotten... Yeah. What did he make after Psycho the Birds? He he did make the Birds after Psycho. He made Marnie after Psycho. Um, the he Birds, too which many I refer more. to as proto-Jaws with birds. Yeah. He didn't make too many more great movies after Psycho. Um, I think those two are the are the better ones. Um, certainly, Hitchcock's best stuff came before Psycho. So, uh, what I want to get to you is, what's your favourite slasher villain weapon? Any of them? Oh, I mean... Look... Obviously, I like the chainsaw, but we we spoke about this in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Is that Leatherface doesn't like to kill people with his chainsaw for some reason? He prefers his sledgehammer. Um, however, low key, and I've just actually made Janine watch this just for her own enjoyment, not for any series or anything like that. But my bloody Valentine, the weapon of choice it's is a pickaxe. A pickaxe. My Bloody Valentine, that is another movie that will fuck you up if you watch it too young. It will. Do you know what? It will never go in a mine. Never go to a mine. Or absolutely go to a mine and pretend you're in My Bloody Valentine and carry around a pickaxe going... That would have changed Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs for me easily. It would have done. It would have done. Bashful just all of a sudden turns into whatever he's... What is his name? Harry Morgan, from my I bloody think his Valentine. name is. I think it is Harry. It's definitely Harry. Let's just so go with Harry. But yes, pickaxe. Pickaxe, uh, I love. would be... Uh, I mean, it's a bit of a cliche answer, but I do enjoy Freddy Krueger's clawed glove. I'm, yes, I'm also yes. a fan of uh, Chucky taking the toys from the good guy box and using them as weapons. Yes, it's but fair enough. I would have never thought a uh, tripod with a some form of blade on the end of it right. would be as effective a weapon as it is in this movie. Because da- right. I mean, it's kind of perfect. The guy wants to capture people's fear in their last moments, and there is no better way than to do that. The only thing I must say for him is that must be a bitch to clean. Like, fuck. I mean, that's very, very true. It's very, very true. It's You're not like you know a simple kitchen knife. Film and everything, like yeah, you don't even think about that, do you? You don't even think about that. What if Mark gets blood all over his film? Then the film's ruined. He can't. He can't screen the footage for himself if the film reel's full of blood. Yeah, and I feel we can talk about the reaction to this based on going on from that. There's this quote that I quite like from Eli Roth's History of Horror. I don't know if you've watched that documentary series oh, yet. I think I think so, ages ago at some point. It's really good. And like one thing he says is once you get blood in the critic's eyes, there's no washing it. And every critic will be like determined to step on their soapbox and like trash the movie because they think, oh, blood and gore is just this violent thing. There's no place for it in the movies. When in reality... I think they actually get a kind of kick out of it. They love it. They love it in the same way they like fantasy and thriller. Like, it's fun. But the minute I think back, and then especially when you use so much blood excessively in a movie like this, and at this time, 
there's a bunch of critics who have to make it clear to people that they don't endorse this kind of thing because it's almost like endorsing violence. So maybe that is also why this movie got such a bad rep as it did. Possibly. Do you know what I think it is? Do you know what I honestly think it is? And I think this does come back to what the movie is actually saying. It's actually about accepting that within every random person, there is actually the capability of being a maniac. There is. At some level, at some deep-rooted, unconscious level, there is the capability of being the ma- of being a maniac. It just happens. It, ju- it just happens to need to be brought out. I think and that's, that's not a, that's not a, that's not something that we should want to happen. That's, that's why not I what think people saying. relate more with the killers and slashers than they do with the victims, except in rare right? cases. I think. You know, people like Nancy from Nightmare, they like Sidney Prescott, they like Laurie Strode, they like Andy Barclay, yeah. all these people. But I think part of them, the people they kill in those movies, usually they deserve it in some way. And I think part of people's thing when they're watching a slasher is they get a kick out of watching a really shitty person get killed by the killer. People celebrate good kills in because horror movies. There's a part of you that's like, Oh, that that person who really annoys me at work. Fuck! I wish I could take this thing and just beat his head in with it. But we don't do that, obviously, because we're rational. No, we don't do that because it's fantasy. It's, it's like why people play Grand fantasy. Theft Auto. Same thing. Exactly. It is absolute fantasy. It is not something we want to do in the real world, because we have a brain that's capable of being reflective, and that's capable of of thinking for oneself and criticizing what it's what itself is actually saying a brain is a fascinating thing which is why movies like this really get my working and whirring and doing all the clockwork cogs and that people would have you believe brains are made of it's the Um, same argument we've had for years violent movies cause violence no they don't video games cause violence no they don't the fucking joker movie causes violence no it fucking (laughs) doesn't it honestly felt like the media wanted a fucking shooting that year to happen just so they could justify all of it It, and place it it on movies it's base it's an argument i'm sick and tired of hearing especially because horror I don't believe horror glorifies violence in any way. It shows the violence, but the best ones give you the tools to beat it and give you the tools to understand it. Exactly. It's way more about understanding. Yeah, that's more helpful. Like, I don't watch fucking Texas Chainsaw or this movie thinking, oh, I'm going to go grab a chainsaw and slice some people up and make them into a chili. I think... No, I'm. I don't know what I think after Texas Chainsaw. Probably that I need a fucking shower. Uh, but uh, I don't know that this movie specifically. It makes you kind of look into that part of yourself, and especially if you're an artist, how far will you go to make your art right. meaningful and real, and not something that's made in like a fucking. I mean, I think that's why they show him filming on that set, because what they're doing on there just isn't enough for him. It's not stimulating no. enough. It, honestly, I don't know what they were filming, but it looked like a fucking episode of Coronation Street. That it did be... look awful. I have no idea what they were filming. It was clearly some sort of weird, low-budget, probably rom-com or something like that. I have no idea what it was they were actually trying to film. From the bad acting, I would guess soap opera. 
possibly, quite possibly. But this this is what you were saying about kind of critics before and wanting to sometimes bash on excessive uh, gore or or what they deem as excessive gore in 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 a horror movie and we'll like we said we'll use the example of of peeping tom which for me you know doesn't have too much you know blood and gore in it it's it's way more kind of about the actual implication of what's going on and sure there's the odd glimpse of nudity which is quite startling for a movie from 1960 but again this isn't hollywood this isn't america um so you know we we've got no code of censorship in play this is britain this movie's being made in britain we can still do pretty much what we want because the bbfc is a little more nice than hollywood censors at the time in 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 allowing certain things on i uh, cannot on, wait on till i'm in a room with hollywood censors and execs i cannot wait for that moment. just be just be thankful you're not doing it in 1950 or something like that when you really have to strictly adhere to rules i've gotten to the point now where i feel like if i do get recognized for my work i am i am going to stop making apologies for myself and just be like that's how it is that's how it's going in fucking deal with it if people don't like it though i'm sure they'll tell me on twitter or some shit but I don't know. I've I've always hated the idea of uh, sanitizing someone's vision just to make it more palatable for a general audience. Cutting out scenes to improve pacing and stuff like that—that that I understand. But the whole taking away the message of a movie just to make it more palatable for a general audience—I hate that shit. I don't well, ever want to get involved fair. in that, especially in no. horror, which is the most freeing yeah. genre for that kind of thing. Yeah. Um... To to just wrap up kind of what I was trying to say on the on the critic side is that those critics who bash on gore and things like that, it's actually because I believe it's actually because they haven't reflected in on themselves enough to actually realise that within everyone within everyone's subconscious there is an element that really, really wants to see that. And that there's an element of sadism in everyone. We just... Some people just have more of it than others. Some people take it stupidly far and become serial killers, and we don't need that, and that's real life, and that's horrible, and no. But some people are smart enough, I think, and kind of critical or reflective enough, reflective of themselves enough and, and self-aware enough... To realise that, yeah, I enjoy watching a fantasy element of that. Um, and people do it in this movie, don't they? People do it in this movie, like you said, with the old dude that goes in to the news agents and buys porn. Perfectly innocent looking guy, but clearly knows that really deep down somewhere, that's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do. So he's going to go home and do that. Yeah, and then you follow. Yeah, it nobody's going to make a big schoolgirl coming in for a chocolate bar, and it just shows exactly. like how. I think that shows a lot of retail as well. You'll have like the innocence of that, and then the sort of put on innocence when it's like you're really hiding 
what you came in for. Like you, that guy came in straight up for porn. I, did, I doubt he even. I doubt what he that even guy's read doing. the newspaper. He probably didn't. But there's nothing wrong with what that guy's doing. No, because that's it's what he's not harming anybody. Look, there's plenty wrong with what Mark's doing. He's killing people. He's killing people. Mark's but if going Mark too far. wanted to. Mark's going way too far, but if Mark wanted to sit at home and watch horror movies where characters killed characters, then that's what we all do every day of the world's existence. You know, if 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 that old dude, who, by the way, I just have to point out, that old dude is in Scrooge 1951 with Alistair Sim, and I just realised that right now when I was remembering his face. Is it the same universe he's buying it for Scrooge? You might be buying it for Scrooge. Can you imagine that? This is why Scrooge is so miserable. He's not got enough violence and he's not got enough voyeurism in his life. Scrooge has not got enough voyeurism in his life. He does not. He's a miserable git. Peeping Tom kind of condemns acting on voyeurism, but it does not condemn the actual voyeurism itself. No, it it shows you the reality of the situation, I think. Everyone has it in them. It's only certain people who act on it, and that's when you get mad. That's when you should step in. Yeah. Not just from people watching horror movies. I mean, if horror Not movies people... cause violence, why would they be like some of the most popular films getting made right now? It's a silly argument. It's a silly argument, which uh, it's just... I agree there's makes... some horror films that just go too far for a bit of shock value, but if that can find an audience and no one was harmed in the making of it, fucking go for it. Yeah. If 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 Look, this is... The, the the this uh, history of horror documentary that you brought up before is Eli Roth's work. Eli Roth's work is based around doing, you know, having horrific amounts of shock value in there. But does Eli Roth harm anyone in no. the making of his movies? No. Does Eli Roth harm anyone in life? No. There's no problem. Nobody has a problem with Eli Roth. His as movies aren't being. really my cup of tea, but I definitely respect the guy. He knows his stuff. He knows how to make a good horror movie. He clearly knows how to draw in an audience. And the guy knows his shit about horror. He knows what he wants to do, and he does it without hurting anybody, without bothering anybody. Now, if if, if this was Mark Lewis put into place of Eli Roth, we would be getting serious issues. Mark Lewis' would be getting history issues. of horror. Mark Lewis's history of horror would just be scene after scene of himself killing people, which of nobody movies. would want to watch. Oh God, that's horrible. Um, but we've got to remember, obviously, that it's all a fantasy. Movies are movies, and this isn't even in the world of Peeping Tom right now. This is just general the world. Movies are movies. Movies are fantasy. However realistic your movie may be, it is a fantasy. For, you know, we have to realise 
that movies should not have to be, should not ha even have to be believable. Movies should just be what they want to be. And, be the and best movies should just want to say what they want to say. Again, what Peeping Tom is trying to say is maybe maybe people just weren't ready for peeping tom maybe people society just wasn't ready for something as kind of i mean it's tough to call peeping tom cynical because i don't think it's cynical i just happen to think it in a way is a very very realistic movie that just has a character that goes over the edge and through through ultimately no fault of his own goes over the edge and that's obviously why mark is quite a sympathetic guy as well because he clearly doesn't actually want to be this way he just happens to be this way um but maybe maybe audiences in 1960 wanted a bit of a more clear-cut story that they got with Psycho rather than a uh, kind of introspective, reflective and almost uh, deeply realising movie that Peeping Tom is. I find most of the general audience tends to prefer horror, and I'm talking about like critics and stuff here, they'll they love to praise horror in which there is no situation where they themselves could be vilified. But the moment that someone feels like, oh, is this movie pointing a finger at me? It's just, you get kind of defensive and you back up a little bit. Yeah. And, and I get that. Sometimes, uh, look, sometimes Peeping Tommy's pointing a finger directly at you and directly at me and directly at that person down the street and directly at everybody. And that, going, that's great writing for me. Exactly. I, for the love of me, cannot write a villain who is purely evil. And there is always a bit of my own personality in every villain that I write. And you know why I do that? And I don't just go for the easy option of making an evil villain or a homophobic villain or shit like that. It's because I find it more interesting when you can see bits of yourself in the villain. It's almost like, what could happen if you did go too far? And in a way, it's a very humbling experience because yeah. you kind of accept yourself, oh, hey, I'm not perfect. The people who, I don't know, this sometimes it can work when you have, like, uh, say, a, a gay character and the villain is a homophobic person. Sometimes it can work. I'm of the mindset that that's way too easy and just making your villain an assumption of everything that you hate is too easy. You should do some more introspecting when you're doing something as creative as like writing or screenwriting or writing a book or a movie or whatever. And I hate when people seem afraid to do that. It's it's because it's the most di it's the most difficult thing to do. By far, it's the most difficult thing to do. And this is again why we should be applauding the face off Michael Powell for <laughs> killing himself. Um, in his career by making this movie that he wanted to make and that he just wanted to say something with. Apparently he had to move to Australia and, you know, find a living making whatever he could there, yeah, uh, movie-wise and whatever. You'd think he committed a crime or some shit, and that's total bullshit. Look how far horrors come 
since then. Can you imagine if Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out in that time? Toby Hooper would have fucking fled the country and gone to live <laughs> with fucking Jimmy Carr on his private island. I don't, well, I don't know. I don't know. But it, it's it's just a it's a very very interesting movie, and I just think we should watch it. Well, I just think we should all watch it. If it's it, it will just make you it will make you think about people and what is within everybody, and it will make you reflect on yourself. And I don't think there is many greater things that a person is able to do than self-reflect. It's so important. To me, it's always been important to me, but I just think it's so important because you need to you need to be able to see both good and bad in yourself because nobody is holy either. Nobody. Ah. Even the world's worst terrible people, absolutely terrible people, are evil. They are absolutely evil, but maybe those certain people have the good in their subconscious, whereas, you know, regular people, you know, lovely citizens of the country, me, you, people we know, lovely people, they're all great. Patrons of It's a Wonderful Podcast, for example. Shrek. Beautiful individuals. Shrek. Not <laughs> Mark Lewis. Um... <laughs> Wonderful people have the bad in their subconscious. Maybe it's just twisted in those. In history's worst people, maybe it's just twisted around. But it's still there somewhere. It has to be, because that's how the brain is. That's how psychology works. And I'm just going to shout the word Sigmund Freud right now just because I'm feeling very psychoanalytical. <laughs> you hit the nail right on the head there, buddy. I hope so. I hope I made sense. I hope I made sense. I just um, I just love movies like this. And yes, there's all this sort of thematic and deeper meanings and all that kind of stuff with Peeping Tom. But let's not forget that it's a beautiful movie to damn look at. It's really well made, really well acted, beautifully edited, I think, as well. There's some really interesting little cuts and changes in here that I just... You know you know when we, you know when you notice editing? Yeah. You know that nice little thing when you notice it and you go, oh, I see what they did there. That's nice. Super good close-ups of eyes and things like that. Um, I'll say I'm glad I I'm glad for this show existing because without it, I probably wouldn't own this movie right now. I bought it specifically for this episode, and it's now a, I have it in my movie. collection forever. It's a great movie. I love Peeping Tom. We should all watch it this spooky season. Even though you know, I wouldn't call it a Halloweeny movie. But it's certainly if you've uh, if you're if it's bored been a while of since you've seen Nightmare it. on Elm Street or The Conjuring or yeah. I don't know whatever's on Shutter nowadays, and you want something a little bit artistic, Peeping Tom, go check it is out. It, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you; it is a little bit artistic. Some would call it artsy fartsy, and would they be wrong? No, not really. But then again, other people would call 
the lighthouse artsy fartsy and i love that movie as well <laughs> the lighthouse is just beautifully hilarious and terrifying at the same time it is hilarious it is a hilarious movie oh god um you know just depends what you like with your horror i guess just that should be a halloween costume for you willem dafoe's character in the lighthouse could do with that beard you've do. got going on i don't know it's not the beard. it's not it's just not big walk like around manchester cursing everyone with the heart I... speech <laughs> <laughs> i could do that um or obviously i could do what i wanted to do um when i first saw the movie which was shave into the um stubble and really overgrown horrible mustache that pattinson sports in uh in the lighthouse what, what, what would you do if you had a rare bloody steak no <laughs> no we're not if you've seen the lighthouse that. you know it we're not doing that now no <laughs> that's that's why it's a hilarious movie great movie love it i also love peeping tom yes success success nolan success any more things to say about Uh, all i'm gonna say is watch it fuck your ego it doesn't make you a bad person to enjoy horror watch it pretty much pretty much watch it i like that any final thoughts for you straightforward my final thoughts have been said my final thoughts have been said and done it's a great movie oh wow episode 130 of it's a wonderful podcast the main show we have been talking michael powell's peeping tom from 1960 starring carl boom as mark lewis and also let's not forget about the wonderful women in this movie as well who are who are Anna Massey Moira Shearer Maxine Audley and uh, that's the main cast that's the main cast of Peeping Tom do we do we do we care that Mark Lewis has an unexplained German accent no we don't no we don't um, it, it just happens to be because Karl Bohm is German the character's not German. But... He just speaks with a German accent. Which is, again, just a reason to just acknowledge that this movie's a movie and it's a piece of fantasy and isn't that slightly hilarious when you actually think about it? Why on earth is he speaking with a German accent? Nobody knows, but nobody cares. <laughs> I don't uh, know. This has been good. Anyway, Nolan... Anyway, I know you tend to like to finish episodes of It's a Wonderful Podcast with some fun things that are happening. Well, what fun things are happening? Well, uh, have you noticed any of the Funkos behind me? Yes, I I have. have Nobody else has because it's an audio-only show. I have this beautiful one here of Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx? Yes. Uh, (laughs) Because we found out... This month, in quite a bizarre news story, the villain of the new Spider-Man movie will not be Craven the Hunter. It won't be Doc Ock. 
It won't even be some of the writers that give Tom Holland his lines. Jamie oh. Foxx is coming back as Electro. Which and is a little bit strange. I thought it was bizarre the moment I heard it, but then, you know what, I'm thinking about it. If he's playing the same Electro from The Amazing Spider-Man 2, that's a dumb idea, that's stupid. Throw it in the bin. If he is getting a second chance to reinterpret the character and actually make it good this time, fucking into it. What I am yeah. not into is the idea of this movie being live-action Spider-Verse with Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. That is the most boring, lazy idea, and that is pure gimmick. I do not want that to happen at all. Just give me Tom Holland, just give me him fighting Jamie Foxx Electro, and Doctor Strange being in it is kind of fun too. Fuck it, let's do that. Well, Doctor Strange Strange lives in New York, why would he not be in it? I don't know, Benedict Cumberbatch's schedule is pretty wild. And another thing, we just got a cast for a Furiosa prequel. Anya Taylor-Joy. Oh, the Mad Max. Our good friend Anya Taylor-Joy will be playing Furiosa, young Furiosa, alongside Yahya Abdel-Mateen II, who is fucking killing it, by the way. Candy Man, Black Panther, Watchmen, Matrix, and now Mad Max. Fucking go for it, my guy. And Chris Hemsworth, who I hope, after seeing Bad Times at the El Royale, is playing a Mad Max villain. That would be so fucking cool. Please give it to me, George Miller. They've only cast Chris Hemsworth because he's Australian and he'll he'll actually get a chance to speak in in his Australian accent. That's why they've cast Chris Hemsworth. Because Chris Hemsworth is tired of speaking in a British or American accent. He's tired of it. My friend thinks he's playing a younger Morton Joe. I think that'd be cool, but I want to see him play his own character. I don't know. I don't know. Mad Max is a weird franchise full of craziness. And I'm so, sure that will that will be be full of craziness as well. Anya Taylor Joy, though, obviously we all love we all love Anya Taylor Joy. Yeah, uh, you excited to see fucking Jamie Foxx's Electro again? I really don't know. I really don't know. I think, like you said, if he's getting the chance to do something totally different with it, um, and look with, with with what was his face, Mysterio, the. They got full costume, so give, give me some star face. Give Jamie Foxx that fucking lightning bolt mask and the green spandex exactly. and everything. Exactly. Why not? <laughs> if you can do full proper costumes for most of the other people, you can do it for Electro. Just go as far away from Blue Man Group as possible. Yeah, I don't think anybody wants to see Blue Electro again. Just go as far away from it as possible. Admittedly, I'm still in the mind of do movies even exist anymore. So I'm not thinking too much about any new movies, to be honest with you. But I did see some more photos from the set of the Batman. So obviously, we're excited again. Uh, I mean, it was basically a Batman Returns reunion there. You had Penguin, Catwoman and Bruce Wayne all in the same shot. Bruce Wayne's looking emo as fuck, and I am here for it. Selena Kyle's looking great. Colin Farrell is unrecognizable. And Matt Reeves, for some reason, was wearing a costume identical to what the Riddler is wearing in the fucking trailer. Maybe Maybe... he's protecting himself from COVID. (laughs) Maybe he's just a fan of Paul Dano. Who knows? I mean, 
I'd like to think he wasn't protecting himself from COVID and he, he's actually playing the Riddler himself secretly. Um, but we just don't know. We just don't know. Uh, I just, I, I do kind of love the fact that Pattinson looks as sad as he did when he had to talk about Twilight towards the end. <laughs> Because we all know that Pattinson just got over Twilight. And we all know that I've just watched Twilight and really, really actually enjoyed it. Did you um, enjoy it ironically or unironically? No! Like, legit. Like, the final uh, climax of Breaking Dawn Part 2, I really enjoyed. And yes, even the pe- even the part of it that people really don't like. Did you enjoy the you turn you name my daughter after the Loch Ness monster? Yes. <laughs> yes. Or them going to I see did. an action movie called Face Punch. That Just... was silly. That was the first movie, wasn't it? Or that was, was new, that the that second was movie. movie? The second movie, yes. I mean the second movie was That's gotta be the, the laziest least... title for a movie within a movie I've ever heard. The of. least good movie. <laughs> the least good movie. Um, but I think I mean, Eclipse is pretty fun. I remember enjoying that. Oh yeah, definitely. I think Eclipse was, to be honest, my my actual favourite of them all. From what I remember seeing, you'll have to go back and listen, people. Uh, Twilight. I actually tried rewatching Twilight to keep up with that. First movie is edited very weirdly. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that baseball dear. sequence is edited in such yeah. a bizarre fashion. I don't, I don't care for that. I the don't Muse care for song that. makes no sense in context of that scene. I really, I really didn't care for that scene at all, to be honest with you. But there we go. There we go, I think. Pattinson, yes to, yes to Batman. Yes, tentatively, to Jamie Foxx. And um, other other yeses all round to when we actually finally get to see movies again. Mm-hmm. Well, Tom Holland's looking pretty jacked because he's filming Uncharted right now. Is that still happening? Yes, and also <laughs> uh, Jacob Batalon, who plays Ned, also is looking pretty jacked. Is he? Yeah. Fair play. Fair play to him. I appreciate that. Maybe he is mm-hmm. going to be the Hobgoblin. Who knows? Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. Um, I don't know. I'm sure we'll all find out weirdly enough. Anyway, I you just reminded me that I I, I still need to buy the whole MCU set of the whole saga. You did see Spider Verse, right? Like the animated. Yes. Movie. That's kind of why I don't like the Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield coming back thing. Spider Verse to me feels like a Miles story now, and to do it with yeah. three white guys. Who are all Peter Parker? I don't disagree. It I don't feels disagree. strange, and I don't want Miles in the live-action movies because I know the live-action ones will just turn him into a sidekick when he's way more interesting as his own character. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. That's a fair point, there, Nolan. That's a fair point, and I like that. But I think there we go for this episode. 
of the main show this week. It's a wonderful podcast. Like we said, episode 130, we were talking Peeping Tom from 1960, but we got into some fun stuff, as we always like to do. Hopefully Jamie because... Foxx's new Electro isn't a Peeping Tom like in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Well, that's true. That's true. Being, I'd just like to actually point out, being a Peeping Tom is not okay. Like, don't do that. That's no. creepy. It's very creepy. Don't. Not, don't, don't, not, this is the difference we were talking about before. Acting on one's fantasies of sinister things is not okay, but having them is. Because secretly, everybody's got something weird going on in their own mind. You know you have. And if you don't think you have, then you haven't thought hard enough. You haven't thought hard enough. That's just how the brain works, I'm afraid, people. That's just how the brain works. Okay, fair enough. Essay over. Morgan out, but not Morgan out yet, because he still needs to do the plugs. It's a wonderful podcast, The Main Show. is not the only show we have on this feed, of course. We have Morgan Hasn't Seen, which is every Wednesday with me and Janine. I haven't seen things, and Janine makes me watch things. What are we talking about this next week? Well, this past week, we talked about The Craft, which is obviously the witchy, witchy movie from 1996. Um, We're doing witchy, witchy movies. I'm calling them witchy, witchy movies rather than just witch movies because I prefer to say that. Um, Next week, we're doing Practical Magic, which I'm led to believe is a little bit for witches in the city. And... Janine finds that hilarious that I am fully against four witches in the city movies. Um, But that's what we're doing next week. And that's what we did this past week on that. I think the next episode of the main show as well, uh, we're actually also going to be talking about another witch movie. But a witch movie with Jimmy Stewart and Kim Novak that came out the same year as Vertigo called Bell Book and Candle. So, there you go. There There you go. Jimmy Stewart in a witch movie. Don't you just love to see it? I love to see it. Don't you love to see it? Um, So that's what we'll talk about on the main show next week. We do, of course, have Machine Mondays as well, every Monday with Janine, talking all her schmodown things. You can check out the It's a Wonderful podcast Patreon at patreon.com slash it's a wonderful one. For all the uh, all the fun tiers and fun things that are going on on the Patreon. There's so much fun stuff. There's too much fun stuff to get into all the details here. But they're all on the tiers, so go on there. Find the tier that's right for you and join us over there. We would be ever, ever grateful. Um, you can find the It's a Wonderful Podcast feed on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, CastBox, and a whole bunch of others. Or just on Twitter at It's a Wonderful One. Find me on Twitter at the Purple Dawn with a three instead of the E in the because three is the magic number and even more magic this month because witchy witchy witch witch witch. That's why. Nolan, all your good stuff is at where? You can find me at NolanDean27 on Twitter. You can also find me this week on the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club with our good friend Devon Taylor talking the entire Halloween franchise. Yes, I watched all of the Halloween movies, and honestly, them. it was a painful experience <laughs> outside of a good a good three of them, I would say. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. But, uh, you know what, we love Devon. He's 
great horror guy he's working with me on skeletons in the closet which is a screenplay that i'm adapting with uh him and my buddy gwen stone uh slasher movie with a queer focus that's all i can say because we don't actually have a script yet but we've got a lot of great ideas a lot of fun kills and uh it's gonna be badass and also something i would recommend that you all check out i don't know if you have audible morgan I don't, but um, I, I I can always go and get a an audible ten percent off from my select favorite YouTuber. <laughs> you can get a uh, free trial of Audible, and you get a free audiobook of your choice. I highly recommend that you download the audio drama production of Neil Gaiman's Sandman, voiced Ooh. and acted with full on score and sound effects. James McAvoy. Riz Ahmed, a bunch of other great people listening to it at night is amazing. I legit, it would give you nightmares. I don't know if you've read the Sandman comic, but I feel you would like it, seeing as you're a horror guy. It's dark fantasy horror, dreams, creepy shit, and that book is fucking amazing. That audio play, it's it's beyond being an audio book. It's a play at this point, and I highly recommend that. Fair enough. Wow, there we go. People know where they can go and find you. Did you say I got so entranced by your audible sandmanness that I forgot? Yes, and sadly, unlike every other YouTuber in the world, we do not have a free ten <laughs> percent off your first purchase from Audible. Unfortunately, maybe it's because the uh, thump- the link that they would give you is just too long. Like we couldn't say audible dot com slash it's a wonderful podcast slash it's a wonderful no. one. That, no, that's just probably say why. Wonderful. Exactly. We could just do that. I don't know. I'm just giving people ideas. I'm giving potential sponsors ideas. We're here. We're here, sponsors, if you want us. But you have to want us, and that's the point. <laughs> that's the point. There we go. Nolan, this is where I say thank you all for listening to this podcast glorious episode of it's a wonderful podcast i have had so much fun as i always tend to but i have had a lot of fun today i'm having a lot of fun with spooky season as i always do it's me obviously but i will say goodbye and ask nolan to see us out as we discussed in this episode of it's a wonderful podcast it is perfectly fine to have impulses of wanting to do bad things however Nobody cares how good the camera on your iPhone is or what expensive cameras you own for vlogging equipment. Becoming a peeping Tom and looking into people's houses during lockdown is not very good, and because we're in lockdown still, you're probably not going to find anything very interesting. Thank you guys. Goodbye.